Just as they uh, turn to God's word uh, for life and for truth, uh, we do the same here in this space. We're going to be turning to the gospel of Matthew chapter 9. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to, to open them up. We're going to spend time walking through uh, the gospel of Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we're going to read together just verses 18 through 26, but we're going to spend time throughout that chapter uh, together here in this space. This is God's word, and, and what, a, what a piece of good news that is, that his inspired truth is here for us, that we can access it, and when we call upon his name, he has a word for us uh, every time we open these beautiful pages. Let's hear together from his word, Matthew 9, 18. While Jesus was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples and just then a woman who had been sub subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I'll be healed. And Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. This girl is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand. And she got up. News of this spread through all that region. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing, so we together give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, what an extraordinary witness to your truth we have before us here in your word. A word of healing, a word of love, Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see, our ears, that we would hear, open our minds, we would come to know and understand your word. Open our hearts, that we would feel its power. Then I ask in response, O oh Lord, that you would open our hands, that we would bring and bear grace to the world on your behalf. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what did you want to be when you grew up? Some of you uh, are still figuring that out, and I don't just mean the teenagers that are with us in the room. What did you want to be when you grew up? I, re I remember the, those moments when aunts or uncles or grandparents would ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or when, when teachers would, uh, would host uh, parents in their classrooms for, for like a job fair exposition sort of a day, and the parents would come dressed up in, in their business, not casual outfits, and make every child say, no, God, no, I don't want to wear that every day. Um, I, I remember wanting to be an astronaut. That's cool. 
And I remember wanting to, to play in the NBA. Also cool. And then I realized that I wasn't that smart and I wasn't that tall or skilled. And so in the end, I moved from those and I, I remember resting on the thought that I think had been subliminally woven into the fabric of who I was for so long. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a doctor. I think the subliminal messaging is the fact that my name is Jason, and the name Jason means healer. And so I thought that 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 was uh, what had been uh, spoken over me from the very beginning, and I would be a healer, I would be a doctor. But then I realized I don't like science. Other than chemistry, chemistry is math, and math is good, science is bad. I didn't like science. Does anyone in here like science? Boo. (laughs) No, I'm glad that you exist. We need you. I'm also glad that you exist so I don't have to do it. Um, I thought I was going to be a doctor. I was going to be a healer. And then the Lord called me to be a pastor. And I remember uh, just kind of... uh, wrestling with God over what does this mean? What does this look like? And, and I couched being a pastor in, in these two frames that, 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 that were so narrow uh, in actuality that, that I, I feel foolish to even state this. I, I, I named pastor in my head as being uh, the executive over an organization that does good things. That was early stages. And, and that kind of executive leadership quality, I think, uh, you know, it plays out because we like to have meetings. The church has meetings. Have you ever sat in a church meeting before? Uh, you see, and especially we as Methodists, Methodists have meetings before the meetings. And when we don't have meetings before the meetings, we actually fail at the meetings, and then we have to have a meeting after the meeting and after that meeting in order to be successful at the next meeting because meetings require meetings and meetings meetings. meetings. So that was what I, I, I thought when the Lord called me to be a pastor. I was going to be a leader of, uh, of a faithful organization. And then the other side of, of being a pastor was talking. And I never would shut up. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe this is a gifting. Maybe this is like a, this thing that I could do. I could talk and, and, and maybe that's what the Lord is calling me to do. It's so funny how long you go doing the thing that you're called to do before you realize what this thing that you're called to do is actually. There's a convicting word from the prophet Jeremiah that has been spoken over me. And the Lord has been continuing to teach me through this admonition. It's in Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 13 through 15. This is, this is really for me, and you just get to listen in. The prophet says the word of the Lord. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain, prophets and priests alike. All practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. 
Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They don't even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. The priests and the prophets dress my people's wounds like it isn't even serious. The ESV says it this way. Uh, The priests and the prophets heal my people's wounds lightly. It's as though though priests and prophets uh, look upon a broken world in, in such devastatingly obvious need. And in the midst of that need, they put a band-aid over an open, gaping wound. They heal lightly. They don't take it seriously. I don't take it seriously. The Lord has spoken over me. This call to be pastor, priest, prophet. is to take seriously the wounds of the world and to know the power of healing that is available for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've been in a series, Revive Love, and we've looked at how God's love is so perfect and our love is imperfect, and yet we continue to lean in and and work to love even when it's difficult and hard, knowing that, that what we give and what we receive is imperfect, but it grows more and more into that perfect image of love. We talked about how God's love is is all comforting and God is the comforter above all others. Today, we dig into God's word knowing that God is love and his love is healing. His love for us is one of healing. And that's a, a, a difficult wrestling for, for us because, uh, because we, we, we sit in a space that, that questions uh, whether or not miracles are possible, healing is possible, and it's probably uh, through the lens of our own woundedness, brokenness, and devastation that as, as we wrestle with how broken we are and how broken the world that we see is, we wonder, is this thing even possible? So we need to go back to God's word. We need to encounter Jesus, the great healer, and we need to hear his call upon our lives to extend this act and work of healing in the world. So we're going to look at all of chapter 9. I believe this is a chapter of healing, not just a few verses, a story, or a story within a story of healing, but it's a series of healings. And Jesus heals not only in the obvious ways, Not only in the obvious presenting opportunities, but also in the surprising ways. In the ways that sometimes we might not even know or name, and yet Jesus is working for healing. 
So let's begin in chapter 9. Uh, the first story that we see in verse 1 is, is the healing of this paralyzed man. Now there's a couple of versions of this story across the Gospels. And, and so uh, we could frame it up as, as Jesus is gathered with his disciples. He's in a home and there are crowds around him. And the crowds are pressed in on him because his work works of healing uh, and, and restoration have been made known throughout the countryside. So people are bringing uh, their friends and loved ones to Jesus, and they're coming on their own accord. And so here we have friends that bring a paralyzed man to Jesus. They literally are carrying their friend to Jesus. And Jesus sees the friend's faith, and when he looks upon their faith, he turns to the man that is paralyzed, and he says, you're you're forgiven of your sins. Now, the, the friends that brought the paralyzed man are probably like, that's not why we're here. Jesus, can't you see? We carried him. He can't walk. Uh, can you handle that, please? But, but actually, it, it, it wasn't that controversial it was more controversial because what he did here was, was he stated as one with power to forgive that the man's sins were forgiven. So everybody that heard it began to grumble and they were wondering, how is this Jesus, this one that heals, also able to do this work of spiritual healing, not just physical healing. It was one thing whenever he was making blind people see and whenever he was making lame people walk, we could get on board with that. But now he's doing this spiritual thing. He's forgiving sins. Can we go there? And Jesus then says to the crowd, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven? Or he turns to the man and says, or to say to this man, take your mat, get up, and walk. You see, Jesus does make the lame walk, but he also heals the broken spiritual Sin needs that we each are inflicted with. I love that this is the opening healing story of chapter 9, the stories of healing. So Jesus forgives. He grants mobility. And then in verse 9, the story turns. It turns to a man named Matthew. And Matthew is a tax collector. He is a, a, an outsider from the religious community because tax collectors are inevitably or obviously sinful. Uh, I'm not stating that as a contemporary matter. I'm just stating that as, uh, as a matter of uh, Jewish culture, okay? And, and I want us to place Matthew exactly where he is. He's not in another part or portion of his life's work. He is in the tax booth. He is in the act of taxation, which is, which is an imperialistic work because he is functioning as an operator of Roman uh, uh, control over the Jewish people. And so he's in the tax booth and Jesus comes to him and he says, follow me 
It's in verse 9. Follow me. And when he told Matthew that, here's what Matthew did. He got up. He left his life's work and his life's identity as outside, separate, and sinful, and he is brought into purposeful community with Jesus. Matthew had an occupation, but he had no purpose in his life. So Jesus calls to him and says, I will heal you of this brokenness. You want purpose? I'll supply the greatest purpose that life could ever know. Follow me. And everybody wonders how this is that Jesus would, 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 would bring this redeeming work of purpose to Matthew's life. And he says, I'm here for the sick. Jesus says to us, I came for the sick. And so the, the, the next instance of healing, again, in, in a, an unordinary manner is, is this healing of John's disciples. So a reminder of, of the situation. So, so John baptized Jesus. Remember, Jesus went to John the Baptist at the Jordan River and, and there uh, was baptized by John. You remember the, the heavens opened, spirit descended like a dove, that whole story. Well, well here's, here's the deal. When John was baptizing, he was baptizing uh, in repentance. And so people were coming and John had disciples. And when Jesus came, John told his disciples about Jesus. Uh, John told his disciples that Everything that he had been doing was just pointing to Jesus, that he was just making a way for Jesus. So John's disciples came to Jesus in a state of confusion. They had their doubts, their wonderings, and their confusion. They didn't understand what was going on. Here was the conflict. So John's disciples and the religious leaders all were fasting regularly withholding food from themselves intentionally as a means through which they could be closer to God, fasting. They were fasting, John's disciples and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and Jesus' disciples weren't. So in some instances, when we, when we have people come and question Jesus, uh, it, the, the scriptures will tell us that it's a form of entrapment, that they're trying to trap Jesus or that, or, or that, that they're in conflict to Jesus, that maybe even that they want to be able to kill Jesus and to justify that action. And so we might read that into this encounter with John's disciples, dismiss that entirely. I don't believe that to be the case. John's disciples have been told who Jesus is by the person that they follow, who follows Jesus. And so here in this space, John's disciples come and they authentically bring their doubt and confusion to Jesus. And they ask him the questions that they are struggling with. How often... Do we have doubts and confusions and questions and we withhold them and they fester? Here we have modeled for us exactly what it's supposed to look like to be healed 
from our confusion, from our doubts. We bring them to Jesus and we ask them vulnerably and authentically. And here Jesus responds clearly and beautifully and says, if I am with you physically, then there is no need for fasting. But when I am gone, all will fast. Confusion brought clear in another form of Jesus' healing. So the story turns now to what we read just a few moments ago, a, a healing interrupted by healing. Jesus is healing all sorts of things. He's, he's healing from sins. He's healing from paralysis. He's healing from, uh, from uh, in, in a space of, of distancing to bring forth purpose and belonging. He's healing also uh, confusion, and here we have these, these two stories. The, the first is a story of a synagogue leader whose daughter died. And the synagogue leader approaches Jesus uh, to receive healing on behalf of his daughter. So he approaches her, and I want you to notice a couple of things about the way in which Jesus approaches the situation. He comes to Jesus, and he gets on his knees before Jesus. Fully humbling, fully submitting, acknowledging that this is the one who is master and Lord over him. Kneeling is a submissive posture. It's a humble posture. And here Jesus sees this synagogue leader kneeling before him and he states in faith exactly what is possible. And he says, if you come with me and you touch my daughter, she will rise to life from her death. Now, I, I love how benevolent Jesus is in this, right? Because Jesus could heal his daughter, could raise her, his daughter back to life at the snap of his fingers, at a word from his mouth. At the very thought, Jesus could heal. And we, say over, we see over the course of Scripture that Jesus is capable of performing miracles, of working healings in ways unexpected, and yet he loves on this synagogue leader so beautifully. He says, this is the, the range, the reach of your faith. It is indeed extraordinary. Not as extraordinary as I am. It is indeed extraordinary, though, so I'm going to walk with you there. And so he walks it out, this act of healing in response to faith. But on the way, on the way, it's interrupted. Did you hear that? This interruption. So Jesus is walking with his disciples, with the synagogue leader from the place where he was healing to another place where the daughter resides. And on the way, there's a woman who's been subjected to bleeding for 12 years and she sees the crowds and in the midst of the crowds, she doesn't address Jesus. She doesn't talk to Jesus. She doesn't call upon his name. She just reaches out her hand and touches his garment, just touches his cloak, not even touches his hand, touches his cloak. And he calls her daughter. And he says, your faith has made you well. And we might believe that her healing was one from being subjected to bleeding for 12 years. And yes, that is true. 
But the miracle of this healing was it was restoring her to community. Because she was subjected to a culture that called her unclean and cast her out. And now she no longer sat as an outcast, but she was brought back in to community. Jesus healing in obvious ways and not so obvious ways. And then Jesus arrives at the synagogue leader's house and, and everybody laughs at him. They're already mourning. They're wearing sackcloth and ashes. They're playing the pipes of remembrance. And here in this space, Jesus sends them all out. And as they're sent out, he sits down next to her. He grabs her hand. And as he touches her by the hand, just as the synagogue leader believed, she raises back to life, from death to life. You see, Jesus' healings are, are not singular. They're multiple. It, it's not in one way. It's in many. It's not just in the obvious. It's in the miraculous. It's not just what we ask for, but it's so much more. Chapter 9 continues on. A blind man is given sight through, uh, through the statement of, of submission, asking for mercy. There's also a mute man who, who is coming brought by his friends in order to be able to speak. And everybody thinks that Jesus is just going to be like, yep, speech, boom, or touch his mouth, and all of a sudden he can speak. But they don't realize what Jesus realizes, that there's something more going on there. And Jesus actually looks in him and sees that there's a demonic force and presence within him. And he casts the demonic force out and says that has no more place in him. So it's not just speech he's restored, but he's res restored his entire self so that there is no form of wickedness left within him. You see, Jesus doesn't heal in singular ways. He heals in multiple ways, not just the obvious in the extraordinary. And if we would wrap our minds around how loving Jesus is, how much healing is available in him, we would have our minds blown and we would no longer sit wondering how can our devastated world be healed. We would say, how is Jesus going to heal it? Because Jesus is able and it's going to be beautiful. And God's going to use us in it. Here, here, our, our world is in need of healing. Amen? We are in need of healing. Amen? One of the, the great arguments in the church in the midst of the Reformation, which uh, was the birth of Protestantism, uh, moving just from Orthodox Catholicism to a, a split divide of Catholicism, Orthodoxy, Protestant Orthodoxy, and then Reformed theology, this division, uh, was the question of miracles, signs, wonders, tongues, prophetic works, healing. And the divide was uh, named in these two terms, continualism or cessationalist. Cessationalist is, is actually uh, connected to the root word cease. And there's a whole uh, division in the church of whether or not 
signs, wonders, miracles, tongues, healings, prophetic words continue past the apostles or ceased at the end of the apostles. And what's, what's fascinating, by the way, uh, uh, Methodists, Moravians, Pentecostals, Catholics, Orthodox, all land on the continuing of God's work and hand in healing, miracles, signs, and wonders. But, but here's what's, what's most interesting. I don't think that that divide is clean anymore. I don't think it's about denominations anymore. I think that the vast majority of us I'm including myself in that all too often function as though signs, wonders, prophecies, tongues, and miracles cease and no longer exist. Here's here's the deal. Uh, Halloween's coming up uh, October 31st. Y'all remember that? Halloween. And so we're going to dress our kids up. Uh, A lot of our kids are going to be superheroes. By the way, Sam was super frustrated because we had the Creekview Howl big party over at Creekview and the kids are like dressed up in their costumes. Sam's Halloween costume this year is a hot dog. Um, And he literally refused to wear the hot dog costume because he said, I'll look stupid and people will make fun of me. He just wore like, like normal clothes because he didn't want to be a hot dog. Anyway, whatever. So, you know, you're missing out on a blessing. Everybody would have thought that was cool, hot dog. So, so a lot of our kids are going to dress up like superheroes. And they're going to have the whole costume on. They're going to look like Black Panther. They're going to look like one of the Power Rangers. Uh, they're going to look like the Incredible Hulk or maybe even the inflatable Incredible Hulk. Like the whole deal. Like it's going to happen. But none of our kids have those superpowers, Avengers style, right? I mean, any of y'all's kids been bitten by a radioactive uh, spider? Any of them like dropped in a vat on accident of radioactive material? I I don't know. Anyone? Anyone? Hands? Hands? Uh, Earlier, uh, Ellis was here and worshiped Zach's son, and he was holding Ellis asleep on his chest and said, Zach, has Ellis gotten any supernatural abilities yet? You know, they're going to behave like they have power or look like they have power, but they don't have any. Christians today operate in the opposite. We as Christians have the very power of God, the Holy Spirit in us through the saving work of Jesus Christ We are called, just as Jesus literally called the 72, and he looked upon the 72, not just his 12 disciples, not just those that were named apostles, but he gathered the 72, and he said, hey, I'm going to send all of y'all out, all 72 of you, and you're going to proclaim in my name, and you're going to heal in my name, and you're going to cast out demons in my name, and look, this is going to be miraculous. And they came back, and they said that that the demonic forces fell before the name of Jesus, They said that they healed, that they were participants in that healing work. And we have that same access to supernatural powers, not of our own accord, but because of Jesus who came and blessed us with the power of the Holy Spirit and sent us out in the world as healing agents in the world. And so what would it be for us 
to not be cultural Christians who function as though we believe that signs, wonders, prophetic words, and miracles have ceased, but in fact, we know they continue on in and through us. We cannot heal the wounds of this world lightly. We can't act as though the wounds are not serious because our wounds are serious and our wounds are serious and our community's wounds are serious as well. And we're not called to put a Band-Aid over an open wound. We're called to invite the Holy Spirit to intercede on our behalf and to watch our Heavenly Father move in our midst. Not just in singular ways or obvious ways, but in miraculous ways that are so multiple we don't even understand it. Are we willing to walk in wonder? Because this is a grand mystery of the faith that we don't fully grasp or understand and to God be the glory for that. But I'm guessing most of us have witnessed a miracle in a friend's life, a family member's life, or maybe even our lives. A miracle of healing or restoration, a miracle of wholeness, and if we believe God was able to do that, why don't we act like, behave like, trust that God is able to do so much more today? God is able. Let's act like it. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, I repent for all of the ways in which I have healed wounds lightly. I repent because it symbolizes a lack of faith. Lord, in each and every story of healing that you revealed to us today in chapter 9 of your word through the gospel of Matthew, Lord, your servants had faith faith for their own healing or faith for the healing of a loved one. And so we come before you in faith today and seek healing for ourselves, for our communities, for our world. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your power, fill us with a knowledge of your power that would be so uh, undeniable that we would indeed trust in it that you are able to do the impossible in us and amongst us. Lord, we, we fully and humbly submit to you. We kneel before you and we say to the one who is able, make it so. Heal us, we pray.